this is Marsha Epstein with Talk With Me, and I say hello to our listeners. And I don't know whether you're listening in the middle of the night or when this airs or whatever, but I'm always glad to have people listening. I I hope that whenever you listen, that you enjoy some things as much as I do, and maybe even laugh a little bit with us, smile for sure, maybe get some ideas about, hey, I might try doing that. You know, it's it's meant to be a place where we bring together conversation about life that is the stuff that, that makes us want to stick around. You know, I will say that I when I tried to explain to somebody about my my social work, what I do, that's kind of what I emphasize is that that I that my goal is to help people stick around long enough to learn stuff so that they get to a life that they really enjoy. And so what I found is that there are a lot of people who have parts of that story to share in different ways. We don't do lectures here, but we share some information and we share some stories and some connection. And again, I always hope it maybe gets you out in the world with a smile, maybe even a smile for somebody you wouldn't have smiled at if you hadn't been listening, but now you realize the value of that. So welcome. And today my show is a show with people from my own community, Lawrence, Kansas. And as I mentioned online, that that's not so common for me anymore, but it's a wonderful treat to be able to, to be with some people who are doing goodness in this place where I have chosen to live as well. They are both staff people with the Burt Nash Community Mental Health Center, which in Kansas means we have these things called community mental health centers so that every person in the 105 counties of Kansas um, in theory, has access to the mental health support that they need, kids and adults. And the center that's here in Lawrence is one that I'm really proud of um, and very, very happy to have for people at those times when they need it. Lots of different kinds of things happen here. We're going to hear about some of them. And we're going to hear from these staff people some about sort of their commitment to, to doing this work. Because as you might guess, Working in mental health services is something that can be very challenging as well as an amazing opportunity. So that means we need to do some self-care. And working in a public healthcare system means there are different kinds of challenges as, as those places do their best to spread the limited resources they have to meet the huge needs that exist in their communities. So I want to welcome Joshua Reese and Amy Hammer. Hi, you guys. Hello. I wish people could see you with your beautiful hair and your lovely tats and everything, <laughs> bow tie, man, you know, all these, these cool things that, that are who people are by their presentation, which could be a whole conversation. I remember this when I was in my grad school training and in my clinical practicum and, and the, the conversations about what do you have that you express about yourself? the way you talk, the way you look, what you hang on your wall of your office, you know, is that okay? Is Why is it okay? Why is it not okay? <laughs> Better just be yourself, I think. But anyway, so I would I would like to invite each of you to just say a little bit about you and your role at the center, and then we'll figure out where we go. And Josh, since we've done this once before, how about if you start? Um, hi, I'm um, Josh Reese, the adult outpatient team leader um, and the integrated dual diagnosis team leader. So translate that into English for other people. Uh, so <laughs> my AOP team, the adult outpatient team, is um, I'm supervised eight to ten clinicians that do therapy and uh, group therapy. And then uh, my case management team, which is the IDDT team, <laughs> is case managers that um, focus on working with people with severe and persistent mental illness and a um, substance abuse diagnosis. Okay. And do you do some of that clinical practice? Or you yeah, I still practice. I carry a small caseload. Yeah. So. so some people get to meet with you. Some people get to meet with the people that you're working closely yep. with. And, and there might be pretty intense needs if there are people that are doing work because they have substance abuse and some other mental health challenges. Correct. You know, as, as well as for other people. We all go through hard times sometimes. Yep. And sometimes we need somebody and... and Personally, I love it when people who are in the public eye say, hey, that's me too. Michael yeah. Phelps recently did some media stuff about his own struggles with depression and needing to get help. And um, I think that, and that encourages people. 70% of people with a mental health diagnosis have a substance use diagnosis as well. And um, just briefly, what is your thought about how that might happen? 
how they might have a substance use issue. Um, I think that um, folks um, have things that happen in their life that um, cause them to have mental health issues, whether it be depression, anxiety, um, bipolar, um, thought disorder. And I think, I believe at first they don't know how to use um, or where to go for um, effective coping skills. And they turn to substances because it's, it's easy to get a hold of. And, and then it's um, feels good in the moment when you first start. And so then it feels good to cope that way. Yeah. It's easier to cope that way. Yeah. And then um, as time goes on, they become addicted or gets worse and then or causes additional problems causes additional problems yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah. yeah but i think you know for me i hope listeners get there's this compassion piece that sometimes people end up using substances alcohol or other drugs because life basically is overwhelming mm-hmm. and this the the whether it's alcohol or something else it may be something that at least makes them feel good for a little while right. it may also for better or worse create a connection with other people Mm-hmm. And that can be something people are craving when they're not getting it in other ways because maybe their behavior is difficult for some other people to understand. Right, yeah. So so my hope is always that people hear us talking about these things and go, hey, this could, it may be me. It may be anybody who's listening. It may be their, their sibling, their friend, their family member, somebody they've noticed in their community. Mm-hmm. And then when we can shift from judgment to compassion, knowing right. that, People don't choose to have mental health challenges. People don't choose to to end up abusing substances and doing stuff that isn't like who they are. But they're they're trying to figure out how to deal with life when life is really really difficult. So that is well said. Yeah, that is that's correct. <laughs> I think that there's a lot of um, judgment um, for people that um, not only suffer with um, a mental illness, but then on top of that, a, a substance abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, diagnosis and, and how they're viewed and, and I think that that's just we need we do need to show more compassion for yeah people and I'll plug it myself I think it's one of the great reasons that people should go to the mental health first aid class that Bernash yeah. offers because when you don't know and you don't understand mm-hmm. and you have these ideas about what's going on for somebody and then you realize oh they have this thing that's an illness the thing that's not going right with the way their brain is processing things, whatever, whatever language you want to use. But, but that's what results in some of those behaviors. And that is hard for them. You know, people feel cheated because all my friends from middle school and high school have these great lives. And what's my life? My life is, you know, I, I, on disability income because I can't tolerate and I don't have a partner and I don't, you know, I haven't had all these experiences that I know other people have, and that pisses me off. It's like, well, yeah, you know, it does. But for most people, they can really get help and skills and yeah. combination of things that, that can change. And, you know, we're fortunate to live in this county, in this town, where we're really supported by our county and town and our, and our mental health center. So we really um, get an opportunity to um, spread the word, and then those folks that spread the word, spread the word. And um, we really, I think, do a pretty good job of trying to break down that stigma in this community. There's always more to do, but we're trying. Yeah. 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 And Amy Hammer, and you and I met a long time ago, which is so cool. Um, And we can talk about, hey, yeah, I used to have cool parties in your house when we were all, (laughs) but anyway. (laughs) But but tell us a little bit about you. I am uh, a, a therapist on the adult outpatient team, one of Josh's therapists, and I also do a little bit of training um, for the IDDT team, um, and um, and I do groups and individual therapy at Burt Nash. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you've been doing that for a while, huh? Yes, I have. I've been at Burt Nash for 10 years now, uh-huh. and before that, I was at Wyandotte, and before that, Burt Nash again, so, uh-huh. um, so I've been in practice for about 20 years. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think I asked you that, but how long have you been doing this kind of work? I've been at so, Bernash for six years. Yeah. yeah. Did you do work other places or is that after you went to grad school? Uh, that's after right. I uh, got my graduate degree uh-huh. in Bernash. Uh-huh. Which is a cool thing. Some of us go to grad school later than others. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's good. It's always <laughs> possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I find myself. Yeah. Well, I, I remember my friend, Bill Bolander, who is a clinical social worker who works at Wyandotte. But he wasn't always a clinical social worker. Um, he didn't go to grad school when he was 22, like some people do. Um, he had a lot of careers in between, a lot of adventures in between. And and when I was thinking about going back to grad school, you know, his answer is, 
you're going to be two years older in two years anyway, so you might as well be two years older <laughs> with another degree. That's right. That's right. <laughs> what prompted you to go to grad school in social work? Um, well, I was working as a secretary um, in the social work department of Lawrence Memorial Hospital, and one of the social workers there um, told me that I had social work values. Um, and so I explored the field of social work, and I got a job um, as a case manager at Burt Nash um, before I went to graduate school as a social worker. Yeah. And I really enjoyed working with people with mental illnesses, um, and I just wanted to be able to do more of that. And that's so cool because everybody whether it's a student in school or somebody coming to some kind of healthcare facility they should have the opportunity to work with somebody who wants to be doing that work mm, yeah loves doing that work you know yes. if we don't love it we shouldn't do it right. and, and i have people ask me like how can you work in suicide isn't that hard doesn't that bother you and my response is if it didn't affect <laughs> me then i shouldn't be doing it <laughs> So let's just tell listeners that, that the reason that I asked you guys at this time is because of a group that you're doing that I learned about, which I think is really important for people to know about. Yeah. So tell us about that. So we have a group for um, people who are transgender or otherwise um, uh, non-gender conforming. Um, uh, it's called Transforming Our Lives. And um, and the goal is to offer uh, skills for coping um, and community, a way to build support in the transgender community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how long has that group been going on? Like when Just when a few months, okay. actually. Yeah. Is it a group with a start and an end, or can people start participating in different people times? can start participating at any time um right now it's uh it's a fairly flexible group there there's not a book for this there's not a book for how to do group with transgender people um, which makes sense because transgender people aren't just one set of people with one set of things to talk about that's right <laughs> that's right um um so, and a lot of transgender people may not need a whole lot of mental health services beyond being um, being okay to go on with their hormone treatment. Um, um, but being transgender in our society can be really difficult. Um, a lot of people who grow up transgender experience a lot of invalidation um, yeah. and you know outright abuse sometimes. Yes, yes. Um, and so when that's happening in your life, you can acquire other mental health problems like anxiety and depression. Um, struggles with getting along with other people. Um, and so um, so the group um, is an effort to um, to offer skills and community to people um, who are struggling with some of those things. And as we talked a little bit before we're on air, I mean it's not about it's not about the problem is that this person is trans or gender nonconforming. The problem is all these messages and behaviors, that are inflicted upon them by other people that make that genuine life invalidated and at risk. You know, we hear things. And I think for me, when I think about the trans people who I know, and I you know, go back to who is the first person I met who identified openly as trans. And at that point, that was a long time ago. And that person um, was, assigned male at birth, was female, identified as female is what some people might say, but but truly was female and made that transition outwardly to live as a female, passing as a female, you know, and, and there are different there were different ways that 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 was talked about and and even different, I think, kind of ideas about what you could be as trans, that it used to be a long time ago looked at as there are two genders, male or female. So if you don't identify as the gender that you were assigned at birth, then you must be all this other gender. So you're either male or female, whether it's trans or whether it's the other word is cisgender, as we know that, that we identify as the gender we were assigned at birth. Um, it's, it's interesting to me now as, as I listen and talk with younger people and just being aware of things that there's a lot more openness now to people being on a spectrum and maybe being fluid in terms of sometimes identifying more on a female side or more on a male side, not having to be pinned down. 
not having to say, I am only this gender. You know, there are lots of different things. And I think it's one of those reminders about sometimes when we don't know enough, we make judgments and we feel scared. It's like, what is there to feel scared of? What is there to feel threatened of? You know, it's like just people are people, you know, and, and, and I hope that's part of the message people get about, you know, that this concept of gender identity, we want to call it a concept, I don't know what words to use, but also about that group. You know, you, you don't have a special group because trans people and gender nonconforming people need to be isolated from other people. It's because there's some of their experiences that are unique to them with those gender identities. Just like some of us have learned maybe too, too recently that color blindness related to race isn't an ideal because people get treated differently. I, I was talking, to, I have a friend who's in this country for a few months. His origin is Pakistani. He lives near London, you know, and he said, you know, a lot of times I'm the only brown person in the room, you know, and, and he is looked at differently, he is treated differently. It's like, so, you know, you need to acknowledge that. That yeah. affects people. Yeah. 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 Josh. So, really, the reason. For me, as being the team leader and, and starting this group, and, and I'll let Amy talk about the statistics as she wants about it. But the statistics for um, people that are transgender that, that uh, kill themselves is much higher than suicide attempts. Because we don't really know, we don't, we don't have documentation on death certificates right. about gender so identity. I wanted to allow Amy to have the opportunity to catch us and give people a safe place to come yes. so they felt safe yes. in a world that's that can a lot of times not feel safe at all right and um and i am you know better white so i don't understand me feeling unsafe other than you know the normal stuff but so i really wanted this opportunity we had, it just was felt like the right time. I think it's a great thing for the Burton Ash Center, yeah. you know, to say, hey, we embrace all people and we want to have this safe space for people who don't have a lot of safety sometimes. Yeah. And for me, I have this bias about groups as well, that people get to learn and support from that each other thing, as opposed to I am here as the person in need everybody's there and everything they say, everything they ask, everything they share, every kind nod, it helps other people in the room. And that's a huge gift for people to be able to help each other. And that's really true uh, for a transgender group. Um, you know, uh, I think over 50% of transgender people attempt suicide, which is a crazy high statistic. Um, and some of the transgender people who come to my group had never met another transgender person before they came to group. Mm -hmm. um, and so just being able to look across the room and see someone who looks like what you might look like when you complete your journey with hormones um, can be uh, really amazing, mm -hmm. you know, can let you know that that life is possible, that there is a life for you mm -hmm. um, um, after transition. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and, it. and it's different for different people, like what their goals are. I mean, for some people, there was a recent article by Laverne Cox, who a lot of people know because of her acting and Orange is the New Black in particular, where she basically owns that, you know, a lot of people see her and notice that her body type, her shoulders, her hands, her feet, don't look traditionally female and so tag her as trans even though in other ways you know we see these beautiful magazine covers and think how could anybody question that this person is a woman but that that's not the way it is and for her in real life and then mm -hmm. just owning it that that her beauty is also that she's trans you yeah. know and and it's a great article there yeah and mm -hmm. there's there are people whose goal is not to look like this gender that they weren't assigned at birth but not to necessarily look like the gender that they were, you mm -hmm. know, that in terms of their presentation. And there are people, it's, it gets, you know, it's like, we just need to be aware that, that it's hard to do, but it's like, we don't really know until we are close enough with people that we have the right to have those conversations because we don't know by people's names, by their hairstyles, by their presentation, who they really are yeah. pretty much anyway. 
And so it's like, well, I can't walk in the world and everything be blank. You know, like I don't know anything about anybody. It's, you know, I know, I, I know that I, that I categorize. I know that it's easier for me not to do that if I'm with middle school kids, because a lot of medical, middle school kids are just at a, at a physical development stage where androgyny is just where it's at, you know, mm -hmm. that's just who they look like. And so conscious of not, not a, I'm in a classroom, for example, not referring to somebody by a gender pronoun, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. And that's but in general a good policy, yeah, you know, exactly. until you can find out what people really yeah. identify as and, and yeah. what pronouns they want to use. Yeah. Well, yeah. and on the other end of that, right, is that Amy gives, personally gives me the safe space to make mistakes uh -huh. and then, then educates me on what this is the way it is or could be. Or, yeah. So she has this ability to say, hey, look at it this way or yeah. that way. And, yeah. and that's the great thing about having her and having her run this group is yeah. that as we go through this world and try to figure it out, we need safe places. And she even allows me to have a safe place to have difficult conversations. Yeah, so I think that's, that's great. Yeah. That's, that's great, great about her running that group. What connected you to that, that community to say, this is something that's really important to me to be able to work well with people who are trans and gender nonconforming. Actually, I worked, um, I worked uh, for about 15 years with really suicidal people. Mm -hmm. um, and in that process, um, doing dialectical behavior therapy, which we also do at Burnash. Um, and during that process, I, I met really suicidal transgender people mm -hmm. who really needed to move forward with their transition in order to get less suicidal mm -hmm. and find the lives that they wanted. Um, and so, um, so as a therapist, I felt, you know, like I was really called to learn more about that and to help them do that. Mm -hmm. um, and especially to help people who have low income mm -hmm. have a path to getting hormones and moving forward with their transition. Yeah. Um, and that's also part of the point of the group because groups are, are much less expensive. Um, and so we can have people, our sliding scale slides really low for groups. Um, it slides down to $5 an hour um, for people with really low income. And that allows them to be able to get some support and get some mental health treatment mm -hmm. so that they can move forward um, with transition, mm -hmm. even if they have pretty low income. So at this point, is a lot of the focus within the group about that, the issues related to transition, or is it all kinds of things, relationships and, you know, whatever. all kinds of things, yeah. all kinds of things. We have a wide age range um, from just under 18 to over 60. Um, and um, we have people of uh, multiple genders um, in group. Um, and so every week I go through... Um, all my books about transgender and I come up with a topic. Um, this is the hardest part for me is coming up with group materials every week um, that are interesting. And so I write sort of a little mini college class and I have people talk about um, some issue. And if they bring stuff to group that they want to learn more about, I try to learn more about that stuff um, so we can have conversations around that stuff. So we've talked about um, health uh, hormones, surgery, obviously those things, um, but also, you know, coming out to family, um, how to deal effectively with family, um, maybe family who doesn't accept you so much, um, how to build relationships with other people aside from family, if your family isn't supportive so that you can have a supportive community. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's really cool. So have you, are you sort of compiling a resource referral list also because i know with with my work with kids uh, with trans teens that that's something that can be hard is who who is a provider who is willing to start the hormone therapy as opposed to which providers are willing to maintain it for mm -hmm. somebody who's been on it for a while you know mm -hmm. and there are all these things you know and what if somebody has some issues about voice you know, are there some, they're just things. And how do you negotiate healthcare when your gender presentation is male, but your genitalia is female? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you find places to get healthcare where you will be accepted and treated respectfully and caringly? Um, I don't like just accepted and I hate the word tolerated. <laughs> that comes yeah. up. Oh. But anyway, you know, there, there are things that are, that are specific to people who are trans and gender non-conforming 
that are scary. And so sometimes knowing that this provider is more compassionate than some, those kinds of things. Yes. That is the kind of information I'm really interested in uh-huh. from before I started the group, just when mm-hmm. I was working with transgender people individually uh-huh. um, and finding, yeah, doctors who are willing to prescribe hormones, sliding scale clinics where people are willing to provide hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I collect those resources like a hoarder, mm-hmm. any kind of We should share resource. some. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so just to give people who are thinking, oh, I don't, really know anybody who's trans or gender nonconforming. I don't think I'm prejudiced against them, but I don't know any. Can you can you share something that's kind of the positive side, some some stories? I'm sure that sometimes in group and from your work that, that you hear from people about something that's really cool. And maybe it's maybe it's a talent they have that they've they've been willing to let people know that yeah I have these struggles but also I do this other thing and like people are like wow that is so cool some 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 of the positive stories that you hear from people who are trans or gender nonconforming or some of the things you've noticed about people that are that those positives well you know. Um one of my clients in particular has an amazing ability to make and keep friends. And she is a real resource in the group because um, that's something that can be really frightening for transgender people worried about losing friends when they, um, when they tell you that they're transgender, um, uh, it can be really terrifying. So, um, so hearing about her strength in that area and how, and how she maintains those friendships and how she's, um, connected to people is pretty amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then sometimes you also hear about um, family wins. You know, sometimes families are rejecting, um, but um, but sometimes um, some woman in your family, you know, when you're transgendered and female might take you shopping uh-huh. and that's a really special experience, uh-huh. you know, um, that um, I that can people, see, people can, can maybe can hear it in your voice, but but it touched you so deeply that I'm sure there's some certain stories that you're picking up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was really touching. That yeah. kind of support um, is really what transgender people need. Yeah, from their families, because um, it's what we all need. We yeah, know? we want love and support and accepting and understanding, and you know, yeah. And, and the world can be a very hostile place. Yeah, um, for transgender people. Yeah, um, and that also continues to. Uh, amazing. I really kind of thought that I knew a lot about that before I started the group, but I found out even more about kind of how difficult it can be, how uh-huh. difficult it can be to remain employed, uh-huh. um, you uh-huh. know, through a gender transition, um, how hard it is uh, for transgender women in particular um, who may not, um, who may be easier to identify um, because of secondary sex characteristics that developed. Um, uh, and and it's really hard for them to keep, to get and keep good jobs. And that makes everything hard. It yes. makes transition hard. It also just makes staying alive hard. Right. Yeah. Right. When you don't have resources. Yeah. You know, and when I think about some stories that, that to me are a reminder of support and also how important different kinds of support might be for somebody who's trans. I, I have a, a friend who I really admire who's a trans woman and she was talking uh, we both volunteered for the Girls Rock Lawrence um, summer camp, and which is for girls and trans and gender nonconforming youth, but not for um, cisgender male youth. So anyway, we were talking about something, and she, and she she was telling me this story about being at Dylan's on Mass, and and she's kind of tearing up as she was saying it. She said she was in line and she saw this parent and and teen, probably child. And that the parent was with, they were together obviously, but the parent was letting, making, however you wanna say it, that this teen deal with the transaction with the cashier. And the teen was obviously a trans teen. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my friend said, she wished that she'd had somebody who was helping her like that because those day-to-day transactions that I might not think of as a cisgender female are terrifying to somebody who's trans who doesn't know how they're going to be treated. So the mom was kind of there, not literally with her hand to her child's back, but, but they're, you know, having her child's back, but letting her child have the experience because we need to to build those experiences. You know, this team needs to be able at some point to go to the grocery alone. Yeah. And so having a safe mom there with 
her at that time was a huge gift. And my friend was saying, you know, I, I, I didn't have that, you know. Yeah. I had to do it all on my own and deal with how people treated me, you know. Yeah. And so there are things like that. And I know I think about, you know, I think about experiences that I've had and 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 how that it can be as a friend, it can be challenging as a as a family member. Obviously, it's challenging, too. But I, I remember being at, at Wheatfields with my friend who's a trans man. And the person at the counter said, hi, ladies, you know, what can I get you? And I like I was in this point where I looked at my friend because I didn't think, well, I should be the one to say something if, if my friend wasn't comfortable having that interaction, you know, so, so my way of handling it in that moment was eye contact with my friend, didn't get a read that told me, didn't really get enough that, that I felt comfortable doing anything. So then after that, you know, I said, hey, you know, I, I, I am really sorry that that happened. And I was unsure what to do. I didn't know if you would be comfortable if I said something, corrected the person or not. And so we had that conversation so that I knew that, okay, if this happens again with you, you and me together, then I know what to do. I don't, I can't generalize it to everybody, but you know, it's like, and we need to have those conversations yeah. with, with people who we know. Yeah. And we need to not ask people who we don't know things that are none of our business. <laughs> I think that's a really good point. I think that's a really good point. People are often people who are less comfortable with transgender people might want to know, you know, where this person is in their transition. Yeah. What is the, what's your body? What's what's under your jeans? Right. Excuse me. <laughs> and that's really not a polite question for anybody. Ever. Ever. Unless and you're very intimate already. Right. And really, you know, the information that you need about that person is what pronouns they want you to use, yeah. how they identify, um, how they want you to treat them. That yeah. is the information that you need. Yeah. Um, strangers don't get to decide yeah. if we're male or female. Yeah. We decide that ourselves. And and we have to realize that, okay, if I say, well, it's, it's hard, it's uncomfortable to change the name that I call this person or the gender. It's like, you know what? it's nowhere near as hard for me to make that change as it is for this person to let me know, you know? So, so like suck it up, you know? Mm, yeah. And yeah, you may make mistakes. Like you were saying, Josh, that, that we may make mistakes. I, I made, I couldn't even believe it when I did it with a kid that I, that I, that I know, um, a trans girl. And her, it was a conversation where her mom popped in and somehow I referred to this, to the kid as he is like, I am so sorry. I've never done that. It's like, am I so anxious because mom's there? What, what's going on? And and the, the kid says, that's not a big deal. I said, actually, it is a big deal. This is the time when I'm going to contradict you. It's a really big deal. And I'm very apologetic that I called you by the wrong gender because I should never do that. And you should not have to experience that. And I want you to know that I'm really sorry. Um, and and so, you know, I think, I think we need to do that. Yeah. Too. I also agree with that. And I think we need to hold it lightly as well and allow for ourselves as we move through this to be able to make mistakes because everybody makes mistakes right. throughout their whole entire life, right. how we deal with right. people because we're people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and being able to do that and allowing ourselves to be educated yes. by others yes. is the important thing. And that's, yeah. that's what I want to do for Burton Nash. That's our, yeah. that's our thing is to give that place for all of us to be able to be educated and safe. Yeah. And my point wasn't really that it's not that I am a bad person because I made a mistake. No. What I was arguing about is it is important that you get called the right. Gender. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That, that but it's was, okay for you to make the mistake as well. Yeah. But I don't want to do it. You know, I, I want to sure. be conscious. And then there's sometimes people do it intentionally that they misgender and we could go off on that. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to say, let's take a little break because we get to do that in the middle for us to recognize sponsors of LawrenceHips.com. And I want us all to keep thinking, listeners, and I'm saying us all, keep thinking about, you know, what are we talking about here? Gender identity. What does it mean? You know, who are you? Who are other people? What does it mean to to realize that it's not just this or that, you know? And, and that really any of the things we're talking about that are hard for people who are trans or gender nonconforming because of externals are hard for people in any vulnerable group, you know? They're hard for people of different color skins. They're hard, you know, so it's, it's, we're really talking about life and we're focusing on this one issue. So I want to say thank you to Daniel Smith who produces this show. So that's why you all are getting to hear this. 
And we'll be right back with more talk with me with Josh Reese and Amy Hammer from the Burt Nash Community Mental Health Center. And we're back with more talk with me with Josh and Amy. And we're talking pretty seriously. Huh? <laughs> I start off the show saying we don't lecture, but I think I'm doing the worst job because I am lecturing. <laughs> it's out of love for my friends. It seriously is love for friends and family and and there are cool things going on. Like I mentioned um, the Girls Rock Lawrence camp, which will come up again in, in the end of June, which is this great experience for kids. But one of the things that happened, and one of the things that happened at last year's camp was that one of the moms of a trans boy who was in the camp, um, it was just, this is, this is so beautiful. She and I connected over the, the week of the camp, and you know, she said she had never seen her son be so happy. He had never had the sense of having friends awesome. in the same way that he did through that camp. And he has maintained contact. He is not actually living in Lawrence. Um, that's not where the family's from. But he's going to move to Lawrence and live with an aunt and finish school, high school here in Lawrence because it's such a better community. Awesome. And in addition to that happiness for that one family, the mom started a Facebook group for families of trans kids. And so there are some people in that who are parents. There are some people who are now adults, uh, trans adults, you know, and people weighing in, like somebody saying, okay, my kid is going to go for the first consult with this doctor about hormone therapy. What are other people's experiences? What are some questions we need to make sure we ask? Those kinds of things. You know, so there's this this support thing that happens just like I know it does in your group where people get to to say, I'm, you know, I'm worried about this. What's been your experience? You know, and it comes up with things like what kind of undergarment is good for this trans boy um, to to look more like a boy to other people externally? Because that helps in and right now with the transition to give more clues of I, I am a boy, not I am a girl, you know, and, and stuff that it's just like, it's so cool that, that people come together and, and share things and support each other. And, you know, a parent might share a story of something that's been really hard. One parent is, is just so like she hurt. They've been so lucky because as a family and as her trans girl um, child, they have had so much support and that's not what happens to everybody everywhere, you know? So, so there are lots of wonderful stories. And the side thing is it's like, and we're all people. And so there are trans people in all kinds of different roles in terms of work situations, family situations. You know, I have trans women friends who um, had been the dad of the family before transition and had, you know, we, renewed relationships at a different in a different way after transition one who one of her kids as an adult still calls her dad and that's what that kid needs to do and my friend denise is like okay you know because what's most important is that we we have this loving relationship you know yeah. and and if if you you know if it's easier for you to still call me dad even though nobody else would think i'm your dad it's cool <laughs> <laughs> It, it is great to hear the, those positive stories, like you said, that, yeah. that your, your your person who does a great job of maintaining friendships that inspires other people that, you know, it, it is possible. There are right people, yeah. you know, and, and that's true with any hard thing we deal with. Mm -hmm. Some of the people in our life, after we have a hard experience, some people who we thought were going to be there for us, they are not. And some people who we never dreamed might become important in our life, become important in our life, you know. And so, again, I'm saying to our listeners, a lot of what we're talking about is is general about life. You know, everybody wants to be loved and respected and have opportunities to pursue their talents, you know. And and everybody should get those, regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of faith or not faith, regardless of sexual orientation, which, by the way, is separate from gender identity, and that's a whole other lecture. <laughs> Lecture or discussion? <laughs> I think I'm being too talking. I get excited about I mean, I, I was thrilled when I saw that, that you were offering this at the center. I mean, it's just like, yes, we need more and more and more of this stuff. And for people to go, oh, okay. You know, that's that's something that we provide support for. I appreciate the the platform here, uh -huh. especially in, in this community, to be able to, to just have a conversation yeah. about 
these things, yeah. people being people. Yeah. It's important to just be able to talk about it yeah. and have a, and to have a place to talk about it because it's, it's, it's very, um, new and I guess controversial to talk about it and all the things going on in the world and the political, um, yeah. <laughs> Don't even go there. Right. Don't even but go what I'm there. Saying is that <laughs> us being here, yeah. us having the Burt Nash Center and a place that gives people of Douglas County a place to feel safe and have conversations yeah. and to, to be able to hear stories through Amy gives me hope. Yes. Yes. And that's what drives me. Yeah. Because I don't get to hear all that stuff. I got to do administrative stuff. <laughs> so I get to listen to that stuff through her. So. Yeah. And it's great to know yeah. that you're supporting that work. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that, yeah, it's a, these are kind of scary times for transgender people. Yes. Um, there may be some rollbacks in, in healthcare and yes. insurance coverage that people are, are rightly very concerned about. Yes. People are worried about whether or not they'll be able to get health coverage and uh, coverage for all conditions, right. uh, not not just um, being transgender, but yeah. also being transgender, which is, and that's a real concern because if people can't move forward with their transition, um, they often continue to be very suicidal. Yeah. And um, so it's really, it's a li- it can be a life-threatening situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I think it's really important to that people can come together and share information and resources about kind of how they're surviving and mm-hmm. um, and how they're building their lives. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And obviously, we're talking local right now, but but there are things going on in different places across the country, you know. And there's the like the the national hotline of trans lifeline. Yeah, that that's really important. All by people who identify as trans and gender nonconforming, and it was started by two trans women. Know, and it's it's a great service that's available, and I think about things like in in our state. You know, I think you know, really a hero is Stephanie Mott, yeah, who has uh, people can check the website Kansas Statewide Transgender Education Project for resources. Um, Stephanie does this cool thing, the Transgender Faith Tour, where she's talking to faith communities in lots of different places across the country. Um, she's she's the one who's fighting Kansas about birth certificates getting changed to reflect gender, um, just like they get changed to reflect adoption and say that this person is your parent, Mm -hmm. even though that wasn't the parent on your original birth certificate. So yes, Kansas birth certificates sometimes get changed and gender Mm -hmm. mistakes could be changed as well. Mm -hmm. But Stephanie Mott is is a great resource. And I think that's, you know, we're lucky for her being willing to sort of pave a lot of new paths in Kansas. Absolutely. She's comfortable being very vocal and You'll see her articles on HuffPost or, you know, and if you look at Liberty Press, there are all kinds of places where where she's putting goodness out in the world. And and these days she happens to also be a therapist at your partner in Topeka, the Vallejo yes. uh, Behavioral Health, which is really cool. Stephanie <laughs> was one of the people that um, that participated in my education about transgender people, too. Uh-huh. She um, she and, and several other transgender people came to the center to do education for staff, uh-huh. and that was really helpful. Yeah, she's yeah. great. Mm-hmm. She's really great. You know, and I think about another, from my perspective, local hero, Jay Pryor. Yeah, he and came, too. people who can find it on YouTube, there's this Dance Moms episode that is Jay's story of his his identity from, you know, what he lived as being identified as a girl, being identified as a lesbian, trans, you know, then that, that real transition, transformation, authenticity, as, as Stephanie would say, to being the man who he is. And, you know, and, and there's a Dance Mom episode where this dance crew with the LA Men's uh, Gay Chorus do this performance of his story and it you can't oh, wow. watch it without tears in your eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so Jay has, has shared in a lot of ways, very publicly. And he's one of my go-to people sometimes with different things about, you know, this, this kid is dealing with this, his family's dealing with this, you know? And yeah, he's been very generous in, in the past. And <clears throat> when I had more difficulty contacting um, adult transgender people, um, he met with uh, clients uh-huh. um, so that they could, you know, meet, meet somebody growing yeah. up who was transgender. Yeah. 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 It's very cool. Yeah. So lots of cool stuff going on. And 
Also, you said your entree into it started with your work with people who are suicidal, and yeah. that's that's you know in in my heart and in my work, and and I know that that's a demanding thing. So to kind of shift gears to that that personal side, what I want to ask you is, what are some of the things that you do that fuel you so that you can continue to do work that is really challenging? It's it's difficult. As another therapist friend of mine said, you know, it's like. We, we go into the room and we put our hands out to collect people's pain. And then what do we do with it? You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. What are some of the things that, that keep you going? Uh, well, I, mm-hmm. a bit of advice from Ben Worth, uh, who um, is a meditation teacher, uh, which is to hold the pain in an open hand. You don't want to cling it, cling to it or throw it away. Um, and so mindfulness is something that I do. Um I also like to garden. Uh-huh. I think that's extremely relaxing and helpful. Yeah. So some, um, and I have some good neighbors, um, that are really good friends. Uh So that I've lived close to for a long time Uh and those things help Uh get my mind off things when I'm out of work. Yeah. That's in your life at this point. I do. I have two dogs, Uh um, that are, um, lively and energetic. Uh Um, which could mean sometimes overwhelming. Yes. Yeah, so they have a big fenced yard, so they fight all day long. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> they get out some of their energy that way. Yep. W- one of the reasons that I that I asked about pets is I, I in a lot of ways associate pets with mindfulness, and with that that reminder that sometimes we just need to be in the moment and sitting with if your dog will let you do this, sitting with your dog and petting your dog and just focusing on the dog in that kind of way can be one of those things. That's a lovely break from the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, that's actually on a list of um, of skills uh, for coping with gender dysphoria that I have. Uh-huh. The pets do not care about your gender identity. Uh-huh. That's the one place where they are really not worried about whether or not you're male or female. <laughs> so they can be a yeah. lovely break. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. As long as you get the right match, right, the right animal for you and you for it. <laughs> yeah. I worry about those pets that end up in homes where it's like that person doesn't appreciate who you are. It's not working. <laughs> How about you, Josh? What are some of the things? Because you're you're balancing this administrative stuff, which isn't probably what got you into social work. <laughs> no. And no. and also the the stories that you hear from the staff who you support, as well as you know what you hear in your own work. Well, um, I have to my beautiful wife a shout out because she's the one that you know that I get a lot of support from we're able to um, have discussions about the stuff we're able to leave stuff at work I mean we're just we it's we're just an just have an interesting way of being able to um, hold things lightly um, and I learned a lot of from that from um, Jill and Juliet Nelson about just holding things lightly but I also you know I worked out a lot you know, I, I, I exercise physically. Um, I have three um, wild boys that <laughs> keep me busy and three wild dogs that keep me busy. Uh-huh. And um, so I just, I try to find balance in that. And, you know, and then I have, you know, my um, therapist team is, they're a great crew. So if I even have a difficult session, I can go talk to one of them about my difficult session, uh-huh. you know, and we, we can really lean on each other uh-huh. for support. So that's, what's great about the team too, is I, even as their supervisor, if I have a difficult question, a clinical question, I can come to Amy and ask questions or just tell her about some stuff. So it's just a, it's just a great place to be. So uh-huh. that's cool. Do you have hidden talents either of you? Are you creative people in certain ways that that's part of your expression? I make a lot of stuff. What kinds of stuff do you make? All, all different kinds of stuff. I sew, but I also just make random things. I You might have seen at some point my I had a purse covered with buttons. Um, um, I like to decorate my yard with, um, with junk that I'm bring home. Oh, from, you and KT Wells. Yes. Well, she's a great inspiration. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So I enjoy that. I like to work on my, my house, which is pretty unconventional. And yeah. Because for a lot of people, those creative outlets are part of it. And yeah. and it, to me, when, when I think about how this talk with me series of shows has evolved over the years, 
I had so many creative people saying that their art was what saved their lives, literally. Mm. You know, I remember one of those people, Brian O'Brien, who's an impressive, outstanding performance uh, slam poet. And we were talking about his sort of personal journey and how some hard stuff happened and, and some mental illness hit when he was college age and how, yeah, he was in therapy and meds and stuff like that. And then it just popped out of his mouth. He said, but what saved my life was my writing. You know, it's like, and that's why I still do it. You know, it's like, yeah. And, and it just comes up again and again and again for me with musicians, sculptors, you know, whatever kind of art that there were, there's this wonderful thing that happened this, this past early in the spring semester um, where earlier in the school year, I had connected with a, a sophomore in the dance program and she ended up with a, with a, friend, both of them, suicide loss survivors, created this opportunity and it became, I think, eight pieces by different people, choreographed dances that related to life and getting in touch with those things that that give us hope and help us hang on to life even in really hard times. But how cool, because they were dancers, the way for them to express that was through dance and it was amazing. And this diverse set of dances by this diverse set of dancers who all had had some hard experiences and that was what they brought into, you know, what this dance is going to be about. So there are cool things that people do. Um, and I know for me with, with people who I work with, um, sometimes writing is something that is helpful for people journaling kind of writing, if they can feel safe enough to do that. Yeah. Because sometimes people have had really bad experiences with somebody finding their writing and then misusing it or destroying it or yeah. shaming them or, you know, unfortunate things. So there are people's like, I can't do that. It's just too associated with bad stuff. But it's a cool thing for people to be able to look back and say, okay, at this time, you know, six months ago, this is stuff that was in my heart that spilled out onto the page. And here is today and here is two years ago. And you know, it's it's a nice way for people to to be in touch with that even though there are things that are we're all always going to have some hard times that sometimes you can see that actually I've done a lot of cool things. Yeah, there are some great autobiographies um, by transgender people as uh -huh. well that can also be a source of inspiration and hope uh -huh. um, for people who are um, struggling with gender dysphoria. Anything that really comes to your mind right now? That um, to uh, I like a a book by Max Wolf, and I can't remember his the title of that book right now. I did not bring my list of okay. uh, books, but that's a good one. She's not there, but yeah, Jennifer Finney Boyle that's another is one really I was thinking good, of. Another really great one, and following her on Facebook, kind of seeing what's going on. She is a person who uh, was assigned male at birth and transitioned after many years of professional career, teaching, and marriage and family. And and that book, and I'm I'm pretty sure she's written since then in terms of memoir kind of writing. That book really tells some of the the journey as a family how you know, friends and family reacted and, and how they negotiated those, those changes yeah. um, that, you know, to, to the trans person are kind of like, I've always been me. You just haven't known who I was maybe, but I've always been me. Yeah. Yeah, I think those things can be great things for family um, and friends to read as well, or just yeah. anybody who's, who's trying to understand reading a biography can be um, an easy way to, um, to find out more about what that experience is like yeah. and help develop that compassion and understanding yes. for what's going on. Yeah. And, and my recommendation, as you're saying, biography is really when possible, read a real story as opposed to a fictionalized version. And there, there are things that come out in fiction that are based on personal experience that are really good, but it's nice to go, okay, this is this real person saying what they've been through yeah. and it's, and it's inspiring. It's really inspiring. There are even YouTubers now. This is not a world that I'm so familiar with, but um, but um, some of my clients um, follow people on YouTube mm -hmm. who um, who are moving through transition and showing um, videos of themselves. Yeah. Um, uh, who um, and that can be another source of faith and inspiration. Yeah, yeah, which is really positive because that's that's part of what people need is to know other people have navigated whatever our journey is that's, yeah. that's hard for us you know last night was the suicide bereavement group and that was part of you know we have a dad who came and his son died less than three weeks ago mm. and and for him to be able to be in the room with other people who are here alive you know this dad 
eight years after his dad died, you know, whatever. But to say, you know, real people get get through this too. Yeah. Not just things that you can read that are pretend. Yeah. It's really important. It's important for people to speak their stories. Yeah. When people can do that safely, what a gift to hear from somebody. Oh, yeah. 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 So I, I hope people will seek things out. I think about my friend, Ry Testa, Rylan, Rylan Testa, PhD. He's a professor at Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee these days. But um, Rye has a book called the, the Gender Quest Workbook. That is really, it is a workbook. It's really geared at like teens and adolescents kind of going through this with family and writing on the pages. Um, Testa, T-E-S-T-A is his last name. You can find it on Amazon and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm not doing it because I want my friend to sell books. It's because we need we need these things as guides. We need things to, to help us talk and figure out things. You know, I would say from my experience with parents of kids who identify as trans and gender nonconforming, sometimes that's so alien to the parents. They have a hard time knowing what meaning to make of the talk that they're hearing from their kids, mm -hmm. especially with kids that identify as gender nonconforming, as opposed to, I've always known I was a girl, even though you thought I was a boy, you know? Oh, yeah. That's that's a little bit more like, okay, I, can, I understand girl, boy. Do I understand between genders? Maybe not as well. And so mm -hmm. maybe that's just my kid being rebellious or maybe it's mm. adolescent experiments or, you know, whatever. I think it's really hard. And so I think that we, we need guideposts, you yeah. know? We need to believe each other, but then there's also that thing of, you know, I gave the example of contradicting my young trans girlfriend when she said, it doesn't matter that you misgendered me. I'm like, yeah, it does matter. <laughs> yeah, it does matter. Yeah. And and that gets back to Rise research. Misgendering is one of the hugest factors in those suicide attempts, the research that he's done. Yeah. 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 So I think, of, yeah, identifying people's pronouns and using them is really important. Yeah. And most people what I hear from people is that if you misgender them, what they want is a brief apology and then moving on. Yeah. Um, although I think that might be different if you're somebody's therapist, you know, mm -hmm. if somebody's counselor or somebody's mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <that's true> <laughs> sometimes we have more responsibility and we need to, to be able to, to own that. And you're right, Josh, we, sometimes we're going to make mistakes, you know, and sometimes they, they pop out. It's like, I can't believe I said that. We've all done that in a variety of situations. That's right. You know? Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, I, I can remember, I'm old, I can remember working hard to say he or she, you know, when he was the norm. Mm -hmm. I had a hard time with they because they is plural. Well, no, it's not anymore. Okay. Untrainable. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. Still. yeah. I appreciate that about the trainability because yeah. I, I kind of, I have the sense that they may be the gender neutral pronoun of the, of the future. I think so too. It's uh -huh. a lot easier than Z and Z and different ones that were thrown out. And that doesn't mean it's going to stay, but yeah. for now it's, it's a good one. I think it's a safe one as well in the sense that it allows people that don't understand mm -hmm. or don't get it or whatever to still use a word that doesn't make the other person feel um, marginalized, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. So if we, if we um, have a policy, let's just call it a policy that, that, that uses the pronoun they to every person that walks through the door, whether you agree with it or not, it gives the person that's getting the service a safe place. Yeah. 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 And similarly, and yeah. in, in all the move towards electronic health records and mm -hmm. all the healthcare of different kinds, when the name that the person really goes by can be acknowledged as opposed to the legal name that's mm -hmm. in, you know, also has to be in the records. It's, mm -hmm. That's really important. Yeah. We are like at the end of the hour, and wow. I want you guys to be able to say a that's couple quick. plugs about the center and the group, mm -hmm. how people find you, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, so my, my name is Amy Hammer, and, um, we would still be delighted to have more people for the group. Um, so um, you need to be a client of Burt Nash. So you need to have an intake. Mm -hmm. Maybe Josh can take take it. Yeah, so um, to get to become a client at, at um, Burt Nash, we have open access um, to get an initial assessment, um, ten to one Monday through Friday. Um, come in, and um, you'll meet with a clinician and and um, figure out what you need. And if you need transgender group, we'll. Um, We'll guide you towards that direction. If you, if that's not what it is that you need, then we we'll guide you in the direction that, that you need. But we want to create a you know a place that um, really um, is the mission of Burton Ash is to serve the, the people of Douglas County and their mental health needs. And um, yeah, please please um, 
come see us if you need us. Yeah. And so really the message is Burt Nash is a place for anybody who really needs some help with mental health challenges, emotional, whatever they want to call it. People of different ages, people of whatever, different kinds mm -hmm. of life experiences. Yes. You know, we've been talking today a lot about people who are transgender and gender nonconforming and emphasizing that Burt Nash has some great help to offer when people need some support, because that's yep. really what I would think about education, support, resources. Um, and that's how it is at Bernice, that when there are things that we that you realize are a need, you figure out a way to meet them. And so now you've got this great thing going on for people. And that's that's so important, a huge gift to the community. And so, I'm really also very grateful for Amy to, to have this um, group and have this platform for us to help um, folks in that direction. Yeah. I think it's we're on we're on um, a verge of of a, a new time and Amy's really at the forefront of that and I'm, it just makes me excited. Cool. Yeah. Thank you both. Thank you to the center for hosting this program of the the support group which is called again Transforming Our Lives. Cool. And thank you listeners and so long. Thank you. Marcia. Thank you.